listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 15 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. Welcome to Retail's favorite podcast for product junkies, commerce technologists, and everyone else in retail and retail tech alike. So Casey, this episode is a special one. We are back to our Retail Transformers series. And if there's a theme to this conversation with our special guest today, it has to be data, 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 data. This shouldn't be too much of a surprise for our loyal listeners, given our season three themes of automation and AI, immersive and anywhere commerce, and back to the basics of retailing. Yeah, it's so true. In fact, I can break it down this way. Data is the foundation to building that automation and AI strategy. It's fuel for immersive and anywhere commerce. You can't do those without solid, reliable, and robust data. And when it comes to back to basics, I'm thinking all about store teams and their need for customer data and product data pretty much every single day. I mean, I almost hate to keep repeating the phrase, retail is now a data business. But honestly, whether you're a retailer or a brand, it all comes down to having solid data or pretty much every project you take on is going to fail. Garbage in, garbage out. It's mm. really that simple and it's been a broken record. <laughs> you know that about that. I mean, I have definitely seen example of that going wrong, that's for sure. But fortunately for us today, we get to speak with someone who is most certainly doing it right at a brand that is consistently building new strategies and consumer journeys based on having that strong data foundation. And of course, yes, it does involve some AI. And I find this extremely interesting conversation because I've never been in CPG. So <laughs> That's right. I'm not going to keep the secret any longer. Today, we're speaking with Mira Lee, head of digital engineering at Kraft Heinz, one of the most well-known consumer good brands I, I can think of. And you know what I'm going to say, right? Bring it. After listening to our conversation, listeners will have no doubt that Mir is absolutely more than meets the eye. Yes. I mean, absolutely incredible insights. But one thing that can stop us, at least temporarily, from jumping into the conversation with Mir is for us to take a brief stroll down the information superhighway to learn a bit more about how data can serve store teams based on what consumers actually say. Okay, and now it's time to bring back a fan favorite segment of the show, Retail Razor Data Blades, where we talk real world numbers and slice through measurable consumer insights based on research at the point of sale. And bringing us that slicing and dicing of data is Georgina Nelson, CEO of True Rating. True Rating is helping retailers hear directly from validated shoppers daily and recently hit a major milestone of half a billion responses. Retailers using True Rating average 80% response rates on questions asked. And it's done just by asking a single rotating question directly on the POS pin pad, making it a seamless part of the shopper's checkout experience. True Rating also works with their retail partners to develop consumer insights reports by running questions on an industry topic or theme. These anonymous responses are linked to metrics such as basket size and repeat visits, to produce industry-changing insights, just like the ones Georgina is going to share with us today. Welcome, Georgina. Thank you. Thrilled to be here with you both today. 
So today's Retail Razor Data Blades topic is the strategic advantage of well-informed store teams. Georgina, let's dive in. Thank you. So I thought I'd touch today on the success story of one of our retail clients who is a global sporting goods retailer, which for me highlights a real fundamental principle in retail, basically the advantage of well-informed store teams. So in their stores, shoppers were asked, did the staff give you several product options? So on average, across all of their stores, 90% of shoppers answered yes. And the result, which they saw, was an impressive 27% increase in average shopper spend. And so essentially, yeah, what this really tells us is well-informed store teams have the ability to offer customers a real diverse range of product choices based on the needs of each shopper. And ultimately, this creates a atmosphere of personalization. So shoppers really feel that their preferences are generally understood and valued. So store teams can suggest complementary products through cross-selling, or they can nudge customers to more expensive premium options through upselling. And so we found that when customers feel that a store team really understands their needs and offers these tailored suggestions, yet they're ultimately more likely to consider additional items and higher-end alternatives. And so ultimately, that leads to higher overall purchase values. And that's what we saw with our sports retailer. And yeah, ultimately, it's not just all about the bottom line and sales. No, really, an informed store team can create that holistic shopping experience, which we all love. And which when we walk into a store and speak to a store associate, we uh, really feel resonates with us as a brand. And in this competitive retail landscape, I really believe that this type of personalized approach sets retailers apart. It's been so difficult for store teams to get that type of information to corporate, right? Mm -hmm. Or managers know how often that they're talking to customers, sales associates, they feel that they have impact into the sales. They know that they've cross-sold. They know that they've been helping customers all day. But this is just such a great way to prove on the transaction level that these, these sales associates are increasing sales. They're increasing AUR. They literally are part of the bottom line. So I think this is just very, very exciting to see because so rarely is that type of a question, in my opinion, make it to corporate. (laughs) And in such a nice definitive way, right? I think I really love this proof There's no gray area. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's It's not gray, right? It's very clear what the impact is. And I mean, we've always sort of had, I guess I have to call it a, a cliche, right? That when everyone says, oh, those, your frontline store teams are the face of your retail brand. And so many retail executives will say that, but they say it loosely without really yeah. having something to back it up. And this provides that proof point that says, no, there is a, an absolute tangible impact to having that well-informed team. And I, I think this trickles back. If I'm the retailer seeing this point, this should be telling me, oh, well, that means my store team, they must have been, not only are they well-informed, that means they've done the training, right? So maybe this speaks to the effectiveness of sales training that we've had and, and product training that we've had because there was a measurable sales increase from customers that had interaction engagement with yeah. that staff member. So it's, another, it's yet another validation point that says maybe it does make sense after all that we invest in those store team members to help make them better uh, at what they do. And it re- is reflected back in our sales data. 
Exactly. I think, you know, what's, what really important is once you see this kind of stat at a, at a higher level, actually it's about drilling it down to what is happening on each of those stores. So when we talk about that overall average, 90%, which is phenomenal, when we actually get down to it in all our retailers, as you'll expect, there's ga- execution gaps. There's some stores which are executing on that strategy really well and others which are lagging behind. And you can even see the difference when the, when the store manager is on their off days, for example, these things can lapse. And so mm. it's really putting into their hands of the, of the regional managers and the store managers themselves, all the way up to corporate, the view of how that strategy has been executed at a store level across, you know, across the course of a day. And so you can say to a particular store, we can see that we're losing X amount of revenue because simply your teams aren't doing the upsell. They're not looking at cross-sell opportunities and yeah, we need to give you some more coaching to get, get you up to speed. Yeah, I would even challenge that a store that would have 90% yes would probably have less turnover and probably have a great team. You know, if it was 90% no, you probably have a very high turnover and your store manager is not engaging your associates and they're not really a cohesive team. I mean, this could into several other like divisions to really communicate how is like a nice little health check. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when we speak to, when we speak to managers within retail, I think so much previously they're, they're managing on gut. It's my gut sense that this team, we've got problems, we've got issues maybe. And, and having customers, all your customers being essentially a mystery shopper and providing, yeah. <laughs> providing this data mm-hmm. just takes the emotion and the heat out of it. It's like, everyone look. This is what our customers are saying. We're all aligned. This is, you know, let's take action. And it means the store teams can trust the data and corporate trust the data. And that means everyone's aligned on action. Action ability. Oh my gosh. Brought back like deja vu there. I just had a flashback of, oh my God, I have a secret shop coming in this quarter. (laughs) 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 Every day I was just like, oh my God, is that them? Is that them? (laughs) (laughs) I remember those moments. Now it happens at every single checkout. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, That's the beauty. Isn't there also a, a factor here about tracking customer repeat visits? I know that the questions are done anonymously, but because you are mapping against point of sale data, right? I'm assuming there's an ability you can help a retailer track this as a lifetime customer value metric. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, not only is there that I'm going to spend more in the moment, you're sweating me to get the, those more expensive trainers, for example. But that impact of that personalization and that consultative sale means I'm more likely to come back. So yeah, that's definitely what we what we look at as well. It's very interesting. I can't say that Ricardo and I wouldn't have a blast digging in and slicing and dicing. Ah. That's right. <laughs> it just sounds like a good time. <laughs> that's right. Well, I would love to come and share many other insights with you on what we're what we're hearing from shoppers all over the U.S. Anytime there, you'd like. At, at, like you said earlier, there is so much happening with consumer behavior right now across so many different generations shopping right now. At the same time, we're this having the consumer insights essentially coming in in real time is just really, really 
such a good move for retailers to make sure that like, they have a pulse. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. activate a pulse on any given moment. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And keeping Cohen on the wave of consumer, consumer change and sentiment. So we're, yeah, very happy to be on the journey. Well, that does it for another edition of Retail Razor Blades. Thank you, Georgina. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy Georgina's data blade today. So definitively proves that what we've been saying, and let's be honest, what a number of our guests on the show have been saying about the importance and the impact of store teams have on conversion and sales. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics for sure to talk about in retail. And honestly, how many times do we have to stress this significance, right? I I can't get over Georgina's data point of how that positive experience with a store team member can produce a 27% increase in spend. I don't know why we have to reinforce it. We all feel it as a consumer when we're shopping. Mm -hmm. And we seem to forget when we go to work. (laughs) So true. Absolutely. It's like we have to keep repeating it. (laughs) But this is really reinforced by the messages from April Sabral, Ron Thurston, Jeffrey P. McNulty have been giving us on our Blades to Greatness miniseries. So it's nice to see the data support the trend and support the movement. Yeah, 100%, 100% about that. So with that little stroll down the Data Blades lane now behind us, what do you say we jump into our conversation with Mir Ali, Head of Digital Engineering at Kraft Heinz. Welcome, Mir, to the Retail Razor Show. We are honored to have you join us. Same here. Super excited to be here, sharing some thoughts with you. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Same, same. We've been having a lot of conversations on the show about AI, data, automation, and how retailers and brands are using all of this tech. But it's great to have someone from an amazing brand like Kraft Heinz to share with us your insights and learnings. So why don't you fully introduce yourself, Amir, your role and mission to the organization? Very good. Okay. Hello, everyone. Amir Ali here. So I lead the software engineering within Kraft Times, and I have a wonderful privilege of leading some talented engineers who are basically the heartbeat of our digital team, right? So as an organization, we support and build products that span across multiple business units, and our mission is to build a world-class self-engineering team with the craft times. That is focusing on delivering value, but also focusing on building a culture of engineering and leveraging emerging tech to really deliver quality products that also focus on quality, governance, and reliability. That sounds super interesting. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more for the audience on some of the intricacies of the platforms you work with, how this connects into the products that your team delivers? for your stakeholders and, and, and really what that means for the team and how you guys work together. Yeah. Look, as, as a Kraft Heine, as a company, right? So we are uh, work very closely with the Microsoft my team here. So we use Microsoft platform as a core platform, right? When it comes to cloud, we're using Azure cloud. So all of our products are powered by Azure. Behind the scenes, then we also have our data platforms that we come. It's a combination of Microsoft technologies and others that actually powers our data platform. And all of this is on top of that, then we have our digital products that they sit on top of it, right? So where we are re-leveraging the power of cloud, the power of the data from a snowflake and others and building 
leveraging AI and automation and building products. So the core to our products are is is AI, as you said, it's intelligent application that we're building, but focusing on automation as well and making sure from a customer and experience perspective, you're not losing that. So experiences at the forefront of our digital products. Can you talk a little bit more about how you got started down this path with these AI tools and data lakes? How, how did you build the, the data foundation that you needed to have to, to really build on and, and leverage the new, new AI tools? Yeah, it's a good question. So when we think about building analytical, intelligent apps and products, right? Data is to the core, to it, right? So we build data from data foundation is essential for any of these products that we want to build. Now, as we look at building new products, right? So new uh, business case, a problem comes in and we look to value to say, it's like, how do we go about building it? Like first, what we try to understand is, is from a data perspective, where does this data sit? It's a process of of uh, defining what the data we need, making sure we have the data, analyzing the data, and then building the, or, or we call it app, which is building on top of the data, right? So what's essential is as we go through this process, then we want to make sure it's like, from a business case perspective, we're trying to understand KPIs. What is the core KPI this product is going to address? Because KPIs are type to the product. Once we have those KPIs, then it is easier for us to actually dwell into, into the aspect of like, how do we actually partition that data to actually collect it? And then what kind of processes we have to set up? Because it's not a one-time deal, right? So it's real-time, near real-time. So we want to make sure we're getting that data and that we're organizing that data into this concept of data as a product, right? So making sure we are collecting the data. And on top of the data, then we use all these AI tools that come in. So whether we're building our custom AI models or we're just building statistic, statistical analysis or we're building some power, sort of power BI report and insight generation. Right? And the way we actually look to do is right, we don't really jump right away to build AI. What we do is to actually crawl, walk, and run, right? So let's make sure we get the data and, and, and actually build, build some insights. Once we have the insight, the next step to it is like, okay, now we got insight. Let's say what we can do from an AI, from a predictive, prescriptive, and automations, right? So, you know, follow the whole maturity model. So that's how our mantra has been is, is make sure we take the right steps and make sure we are bringing insights before we try to dwell into making a lot of the tools like, yeah, specific tools in place. So you're really got yourself quite the monster. <laughs> and when we when we really think about the realm of data ingestion, the retail sector often deals with numerous channels. However, your approach involves handling not just hundreds, but potentially thousands or even tens of thousands of channel data. I think this was one of the big aha moments I had <laughs> is how much data you're ingesting from so many different channels. What are some of the unique challenges and opportunities that this presents? So for like your product development? Yeah. So main challenges are there. <laughs> but when we talk before, a lot of actually backup, right? You know, so do we do ingest a lot of data? We have a lot of external data that we get. Yeah, data, retail data, consumer data, shoppers mm -hmm. data. So we do bring a lot of sources, external data sources that we use to actually build that intelligence across our that is needed for, for our product. Then we have all our internal sources that is actually, at the end of the day, behind the scenes, we have a ERP platform, 
right? So we want to make sure we get the data. Then on top of that, then we have all the consumer and the marketing data. Then on top of that, then we have what we call our shop floor data, right? Which is IoT centers and all the data that we get. So all of the data needs to come in place. So it's important because at the end, data is, is, is the key foundation. To now, as we look to handle this, right? Uh, what we want to make, what we try to do to avoid some of the biggest challenges is making sure we're getting real-time data and getting the data accurately and timely. And there's good quality data, right? So there's data governance is, is generally a challenge. If somebody tell me there are five out of five on governance, man, I would just hands <laughs> down. All right. So, you know, it's, it's a growing challenge. So governance and especially making sure the timeliness and accuracy of data is, is a thing that we're constantly improving. On. We're getting better and better, but actually that's, that's a constant thing. And number two, in terms of having the clean data, right? To making sure there's things at the end of the day, there's people involved on one side of the process, there's people on the other side, so there's somebody has to fill in the gaps. So we're looking to say, it's like, how, how far can we go left and make sure we address the data, right? So as the data is coming from the shop floor, from ERP, or from suppliers, right? If you think of procurement, hmm. there's supplier data in there. It's like, how do we, the more we shift left, the better it is because the more we stop guessing and assuming and, and uh, inferencing data. So that's, that's the constant challenge and we keep improving and we're getting better domain by domain, data table by table. We're trying to make sure we actually do it. Now we actually have a good platform in place where we actually have scorecards out the data. So, wow. um, yeah, I mean, if somebody seems like they've already solved this problem, when they've got it all under control, man. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that this is one place where there's a lot of learnings because in the fashion industry, so much of the data is old. We, we kind of have the garbage in, garbage out. Don't worry about what it says. Just shoot from your hip. Trust your gut. Our instincts are well-tuned. <laughs> 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 and I think this is one this is a really great perspective because I even had so many questions about Kraft Heinz. What are they how do they use data? Like very different process. And it sounds like you're way ahead of us in the fashion industry. <laughs> what are some typical examples that your team gets asked, right? When when people who are coming to you and say, this is the question we're trying to answer, right? What's some, what are some of the typical kinds of questions that people come to you where you have to potentially you're looking at this and say, hmm, what, what data do we, sets do we need to dig into for that one that create, brings you new challenges? Yeah, so when it comes from, from, the, from the business, right? So there's basically, if I were to categorize, right? So the kind of request I got funneled in. So one is only from a, from a efficiency and automation perspective, give us a tool, give us a thing that we actually brings the units and organizations and teams together and we build some automation to efficiency. Uh, the other request that we get is, hey, I want to understand and leverage AI. Right, right now, it's a hot topic. I want AI, right? And so I was like, sure, Who yes. Right. We got you covered. <laughs> I said, let's, let's actually double click on it. What does it really mean? Right. right. So sometimes it's simple data insights and reports. And, and sometimes it's like really actually looking ahead. It's like, how can we, if you go to a manufacturing client, it's mm -hmm. like, hey, I want to really increase my throughput. Right. That's a big question. It's like one of the major KPIs. There's a lot of other KPIs that actually 
contributes to that KPI that we need mm-hmm. to dig deep into understand. And if you look at the other side, it's like, how do I optimize promotions? Right. So mm-hmm. there's wide range of things, the wide range of things. And, and the good thing is our talent, is talent is growing. We're bringing in some really, really smart people in the organization. So if you, you name it the area that we want, we've got expertise in it, especially mm-hmm. from a data science perspective, data engineering perspective. These are core roles that got people in there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so just going back. So we have automation. We have this data inside an AI. And the third piece is just more of, I would say, workflow, workflow-related items, right? So those are kind of kind of main requests that we get. And then we actually just have a pretty detailed process as to like how we prove things out, how we go from a product development lifecycle from all the way from SS to discovery to MVP to scale and whatnot. So uh, getting robust uh, uh, product lifecycle that actually helps us understand what this opportunity means. Because at the end of the day, like I said, engineering team and we exist because we want to provide value to the business. So we want to understand what is the value generation of it. I'm not saying mm-hmm. all, that's all the time, but mm-hmm. 90% of the time we want to make sure we have a good value generation. We want to make sure there is an appetite from a, our internal and external customers to make sure yes. option and yeah. Third, the opportunity in terms of scaling wise. Okay, one year is this, what is three years and five years out? What do we see? So we got to take a look at it from a strategic lens to see the second investment that's required. We've got a good, amazing commitment from our leadership to, in terms of driving digital, but at the same token, we have got good process in place. You're supporting a lot of different user groups too, from sales to marketing, to vendors, supply chain. I think being able to kind of have that overarching visibility kind of puts you and your team in a very unique spot to kind of connect the pieces when you're looking at AI. It does. And actually it's, it's a good, but sometimes it's very overwhelming, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, yeah. I go with, with, with the notion that it's just advantageous and good and stick to it and try to overcome the anxiety that comes with it, which is uh, so much. Yeah, so as you sit on the top, I think that the biggest advantage is like understanding the use cases. What are some mm-hmm. of the people asking, right? Mm-hmm. Business is different. So when you talk to people in revenue management, compared to supply chain, compared to manufacturing, to marketing, man, it's like it's very different use cases, but mm-hmm. underlying, there's a lot of connectivity there. So the number one thing we understand mm-hmm. is that case number two, you understand it's like, oh, wow. There's interrelationship. And, and lastly, it's like from an engineering perspective, reusability, right? I'll give you a classic mm-hmm. example. When we started our journey uh, from a development perspective, right? So craft times due to this low-code, no-code using Power Platform. When we started the journey on the sales side, it took us to release a good, solid, stable release one of the product anywhere between seven months, six to seven months. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, when we did this for supply chain, it dropped by almost two months, two to three months, because wow. we learned a lot, we used a lot. So now we have a release one of the product, i say within four to five months, like a quarter plus. And then fast forward, then we have another one that we did for manufacturing for, and we actually did within a quarter. So you can see us from seven, eight months to five, four to five months to, to within a quarter, which is amazing. So that gives me and my team advantages looking beyond just not one vertical, but all 
and then reusing things, patterns that were worked, and uh, the forefront experience was. How do we make sure? Because nobody should feel going from one app to another app to say, oh my God, your app is so different. I love it. I want this. Right. 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 And that consistency. It's, it's, it's this experience yeah. that, that matters. So the flipping, I mean, mm-hmm. yes, I want my own touch to it, but we try to give that from a flow perspective, from experience, from mm-hmm. data perspective. Mm-hmm. When it comes to cross times, there's our design team does an amazing job of bringing all this together. Mm-hmm. From a color palette to icons, mm-hmm. to the all of the thing, bring it all together. It's just a, mm-hmm. amazing. So what would we have? What we have actually, what we call is KH Insight Suite. So think of Microsoft mm-hmm. 365. Within 365, mm-hmm. you have all these different products, right? Excel, Outlook, relevance. So similar kind of paradigm, KH mm-hmm. Insights. And then we have our individual products within that. So everything is just mm-hmm. disclosed. And it just nicely ties with the portfolio and the product landscape. Yeah, that's a great point about the the need for that consistency and and a real design language for the user experience uh, across all of the different things that your team's delivering. So I, I want to come back to you talked about some of the things on how you kind of created the foundation, and then people start asking you for I want AI, I want AI on this. And I imagine we have plenty of conversations where that, that, that start with the phrase, why do you want the AI? <laughs> what, what are you expecting it to do for you? But ha- so how do you, or how have you, I, I should say, taken all of that and these AI tools and integrated that into your overall data strategy? And then additionally, you know, what, what, how, where are you taking it? Where do you, where do you go next with that? Because you mentioned one example about how, as you get used to this, you can shorten the deployment time for one, which, which is amazing. But in addition to that, are there other areas you're finding that this is really uh, almost magical for you? Yeah, so touching base, I mean, from a data strategy and AI perspective, first of all, I love it when business asking for AI, which is great, right? I mean, it's AI has been around for a very long time, like very mm-hmm. long, right? Mm-hmm. 50 plus years or, or even more. Now, consumers yeah. now, people in China comes and talk about AI, which is great to me. It's, it helps my job. It's okay, you know, they understand the tech and all of that, right? So this whole generative AI actually changed the lens for, for AI, right? All of a sudden from a backend technology that nobody really cared, mm-hmm. right? Because <laughs> you've been using Amazon.com yeah. for a really long time. You've been using other e-commerce platforms. <laughs> you're getting those recommendations. You're getting those emails. Guess what? AI is yeah. now, right. all of a sudden, he has become a consumer tech. Mm-hmm. Seriously, right? I mean, now, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, we would be using AI bots break up with the significant other or get through a problem. Like it's in keyboard now. <laughs> yeah. Of I don't know how to answer this question. I don't know right. how to respond. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it's like the born over in a in a new way. Yeah, and so it is great for I mean for our customers, internal customers, to actually learn about the tech, right? So I mean, one other thing that I usually talk about. There is a notion as, you know, if you have high IQ, that means you're successful. And then later on, it was proven as, no, high IQ doesn't just get you there. You need to have EQ. So then we figure out, so there's a lot of books came out. IQ plus EQ mm-hmm. makes you successful. <laughs> and now there's a notion, right? So now IQ, EQ is great, but you need TQ, which is technology coaching, right? So because <laughs> yeah. technology is an enabler uh, to mm-hmm. a lot of every enterprise is a, is a tech company. To some degree or right so making sure 
that TQ is part of it. Anyways, going out the tangent here, but trying to bring it back all our business is becoming technology aware, which is making sure they're asking good questions, which actually helps us have a good conversation. Mm-hmm. But at some point, we do actually through the process says, let's focus on the problem, what the problem is, how do we need to address it, what, what does the success look like or Nordstrom look like, and then go into the value because we go back to the value problem. Sometimes it's like all these things like may not generate a value. All that mm-hmm. investment. So that's why it was like, it's back to that value, back to the cost, back to the risk. The core component's still there. And it's, it's sometimes the business finds it says, Oh my God, it's like good conversation. They can, they thought that we'll be excited more. But, yeah. but the end, yeah. you know, the leader has a responsibility to deliver value, not just yeah. tech. Tech is there. So I remember as I was like 10 years ago, I would just be talking tech, nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Data strategy is key. We have data strategy in place in action here, but on top of that, we are actually have AI strategy. So I am co-leading our AI strategy with our team internally here. And for that very reason, it sits on top of data strategy and AI strategy is critical for us to say, what are we going to focus on? How are we going to drive it? How are we going to govern AI? And how are we going to make sure from a skilling perspective, literacy perspective, that we are actually thinking about it. So it's a two-pronged strategy here in AI strategies sits on top, which is important, and helping us drive our future direction as to like how we leverage AI and where we're going to focus, how we're going to invest. Those are all the things uh, that we want to make sure we drive forward. That's great. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, I guess one of the things I hadn't, until you just said it a moment ago, I hadn't thought about how this consumerization of AI technology has almost increased the educational level of technology and a lot of business users that in the past, I think to your point, they would have probably asked you for a technology, not necessarily knowing what value it was going to give them, uh, but because they had heard about the technology, there was sort of an assumption that, oh, this must be useful. I need, I need to ask someone in the know, right, to figure out a way to leverage it for us. But, but now it sounds like with this, uh, as more and more consumers get used to the latest and greatest AI tech, and you're, you're getting more specific requests now, it sounds. And it's starting with that value discussion versus starting with the technology discussion. 100%. And, and, and you know, so we're, to be honest, loving the engagement, loving the conversation mm-hmm. that we're having and, and the passions. Like I've had an opportunity to present the AI strategy to various groups and the kind of questions and, and the interest is amazing. There people are willing to become a champion within their groups to come forward and mm-hmm. sense like how could we solve some of the problems? How could we leverage and you know, these kind of texts to solve some problems? So uh, conversations are moving in the right direction. So it's, it's, it's exciting times to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, there's just so, so many different things now where the discussion starts with data and, and moves into value where the technology is kind of wrapped around it, but it's not the center of the discussion anymore. It's, it's finally, there's sort of the means to an end and the end value is what, what matters. So one area along those lines that I always like talking about in case it will probably laugh at me a little bit for bringing this up, but I, I, I have to ask from your perspective, how do you see the intersection of retail media networks with your business from a brand perspective? I imagine that you must likely be working with many retail media networks already. And as more and more of them, it seems like every day there's a new one, right? There's a new retailer introducing something around retail media. 
But from your perspective and, and thinking in terms of all the different data sources that you have and all the, the problems that your business stakeholders are asking you to solve, whether it's around shopper insights or, or other things, what, how do you attach value to what retail media networks offer? So this is an area that's like I'm not so deep into it. However, I can provide some insights. So number one, we do leverage retail media. So mm -hmm. it's critical from, right. a, from a CPG perspective. It, they are crucial to for us to provide that engagement, right? So at the end of the day, we can provide what we believe, but at the end, they have that understanding and that engagement with the customer. So personalization and all that stuff works through them. In, and from our perspective, right, it's like, how do we actually tie the loop back, right? So we put in all of these marketing dollars in there, it's like in leveraging those media. It's, it's basically how, what kind of insights we're getting, what kind of feedback loop and our role as that we're getting. That's an important part of it. That's something that I am focusing from our perspective. So we have a growth team that are focused on it, building and, and driving that. For me, it, it all comes back to it's like, show us the the ROI on it and, and how we're doing for each of the product category campaigns, things we do. So more for us, for, for me, it's just more as like, how do I bring out the insight? So that's, that's a key part to it. But I can tell you, as I Craftine has, has a pretty amazing, the growth team, of, we call it growth within growth team marketing. So mm -hmm. they work very closely with our media partners. Are you finding that you have to uh, yeah. cover things like around the around the measurement side of it? So the, the one of the top messages we always hear, and with others, and we've had conversations from the retail side of it versus the brand side, but that the story we hear a lot of is that because measurement's not consistent, right? Every retail media network ten, does things their own way. We don't we don't quite have the right standards in place yet. From your perspective, do you find that you've got to fill in those gaps? And do you have folks leveraging and buying into the retail media network? So are they coming to you and saying, you know, help us with the measurement, help us connect these dots to all your other data sources where there's currently a, just a big gap, right? Because retail media doesn't have that yet. Yeah. So, I mean, our data science team get involved quite a bit here because we actually, we started a, a, a team focused on on this measurement piece, right? So mm -hmm. to really understand that because we can't just allocate money and not worry about it, right? Right. You look at it every brand, marketers, okay, mac and cheese, I want to do this. For Lunchables, I want to do this. Everybody have, and they just believe that they want to do it. But now how do we actually get back? So there is a lot of awareness now that so we need to bring, make sure our dollar is working towards us and making right. sure we understand what is happening. At some point, we want to be so real time that we can control our campaign, mm -hmm. right? Just like, hey, it's not working. How do we actually treat this? So once we get this loop and right now, there's that whole loop takes a while, right? In some mm -hmm. cases, I've seen, you know, two weeks. In some cases, I've seen a month mm -hmm. before a data is looked back. Just sometimes too late. That's, we want to yeah. get to the yeah. point that it's within a reasonable time. The campaign is running for two weeks to four weeks, mm -hmm. whatever it is. At some point, we have this evaluation to say, nope, it's not going as, as needed. We need to tweak, optimize the campaign, increase, you know, go granular or go higher, right? Some things have to be changed. That's a gap overall in mm -hmm. the whole marketing. I'm not sure if somebody is doing it, but 
from what I hear and what I can see, this is a a challenge, right? So in terms of bringing back. So we're trying to make sure we just understand our spend and make sure we understand our ROAS. But it would be great that if it's, that loop is built into the campaign right. and directly into the marketing plans as well. Yeah. Yeah, I would think that from an ideal perspective would be if you were working across multiple retail media networks across multiple grocery brands, for example, and you have a campaign that you launch across all of those networks, each one, I, I would expect you're going to see different performance. So if you had that near real-time capability to see how the how those ad placements, how that's ha- performing for you with each grocery brand, you could more dynamically adjust the campaign, right? In real-time and say, oh, well, I see that with this brand in the Northwest, it's going really well, but in in you know the Midwest, it's we need to shift some spend. Uh, yeah. But to your point, you can't wait two months to, or a month even for that kind of analysis. You want to, you need to know that within a few days. Yeah, I, you At know least. how we talk. Yeah, so it's like how we talk about consumer three sixty, right? Making sure we understand mm-hmm. the a consumer so that we can target at. Um, but at the same token, we need to understand our target markets and stores and areas that we want to target as well. Understand mm-hmm. that so that, like you just said, right, Midwest versus east to 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 the west. How do we actually shift based on other factors, external factors, mm-hmm. whether are just weather related, geopolitical, or any of those macroeconomics putting into the place, and then also demographics, right? So we have consumer demographic, but those demographic needs to be overlaid on top of areas and regions, right? So demographic is there, but if you're targeting somewhere in like Midwest and the area that you live, this demographic has to match. So some of this data needs to come from stores level, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got something mm-hmm. from Costco, Walmart, all of Right. Not every Walmart is placed in the right demographic, meaning demographics are different for each of the Walmart. Right. And I live uh-huh. in Chicago, a Walmart mm-hmm. in a very wealthy neighborhood of Oak Brook is very different mm-hmm. than, uh, than it's not in. So mm-hmm. different campaigns. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I, at some point, one of the emerging questions that we have now in the world is like, what I'm excited about is, is how we actually use analytics, like real time analytics, but it is actually location based, right? It's mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. I have an analytics plan and it works across all, but it's like really yeah. localized analytics plan, right? You're doing, to some degree, location-based analytics. It's something I come Anybody's from. Anybody's not going the direction of mm-hmm. bottoms-up planning, just has mm-hmm. like a key to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Anything from bottoms-up. <laughs> it, it is important, right? I mean, this is something I learned back when I was in Nokia and, and I used to run real-time traffic platform. For us, is traffic data is useless if it's four minutes late. So how do we actually meet up mm-hmm. the map person? That's why you do edge, edge analytics. So you do analytics at the end so that you can get those updates. There's a traffic jam going to O'Hare and it coming five minutes later, I'm already sitting in the traffic excuse list. Yeah. Solutions well, right. aren't really right. helpful when you can't whip a UE. <laughs> yes. So those edge analytics, I mean, I, I believe it's it's something that you need to start doing that. In, in, I think in, one in of the most... As well. Yeah. I, I think one of the most surprising surprising elements that I've kind of come into this with is I never expected such a large CPG company to really be cultivating a culture of innovation. 
this was very much kind of took me kind of aback. And I would assume, I mean, it's a challenge for organizations of any size, but can you expand on, I think a lot of this just has to be driven by you. I mean, your entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial leadership style, it's embraced at such a large organization and you're running your teams so much more like I would run teams in like a startup world. And I, I think this has to come from just your guys' culture in general. Yeah. How much time do we have? Like it's been all day. It's an important topic. Like, My new favorite phrase. Show. Let's double click on it. When it starts from innovation, right? I mean, it's just not about innovation. Come up with a new product, but it, it's just, there's a lot that goes behind. I mean, that's why it's called culture mm-hmm. formation, right? So where yeah. it actually starts with the whole concept of learning, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a culture of continuous learning built inside, mm-hmm. right? And, and some of the things our leader asked for is, what have you learned? That is an mm-hmm. amazing question. Like every time it's like in our decks, in our reviews, says, what have you learned? That's mm-hmm. amazing. That told us is like, there is uh, a leeway given for you to experiment and fail. But not yeah. telling what you failed at, but what should you learn? That's right. important. So that that right. whole thing of continuous learning, yeah. learning, like you call learning from try more and learn, but also it's like keep expanding your skills and keep expanding and learning. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that is very close to me. And I try to tell my team as well, just learn whatever it is, something a day, something a sprint, something a month, mm-hmm. you have to have, right? The second piece of, I believe from innovation point to me is embracing change, right? I mean, we live in a world that's constantly changing. In order to be ready to change, that means it's actually part of the innovation, right? So, you know, you're pivoting quickly. You're learning, you're change, whether it's it requiring change or, or change in other surroundings, you need to be ready to embrace the change. And the last one is feel free to challenge. And I tell the mm-hmm. team, I was like, but sometimes when I say, hey, feel free to challenge that. And it comes in, you know, because me, I was like, oh, he can challenge, I cannot. And, but, but we want to create that safe environment for right. our teams to yeah. challenge as well. Respect facts, data driven, right. provide right. options, right? So it's not, there's, you got to differentiate between complaining and venting, competitive, mm-hmm. completely challenging the status quo, mm-hmm. and actually providing alternative. So those are sort of the few things that I believe are key to it. And then you know, on top of that, giving the team the ability to really hackathons, giving them those think times and allowing them to actually experiment. And actually, from my perspective, what we have is we have our chapter OKRs, like from a team perspective, something that we drive as it, right? Not all my team is fully dedicated to 100% on a product, right? They have some bandwidth that actually do to innovate and think forward. So all of this together goes a system, right? So we're starting with this journey. You see the results of, of this change in the coming years. I think that that's something that all our listeners should take away is if an organization as large as Kraft Heinz can implement these types of culture and innovation and and just commitment to transformation in general, I think every organization can. And there's a roadmap for them to go ahead and start making adjustments. 
This has been truly a fascinating discussion and I, I really appreciate you joining us, Mir. Absolutely. My pleasure, Sil. Yeah, I know I've learned a lot from this discussion. I, I really can't wait now to see and learn more from what you and your team are doing at Kraft Heinz and, and how that really brings about you know, the transformation you're talking about and new consumer interactions. I mean, it just seems like such a fascinating space to be in right now. Thanks again, Mir. It was, it was so exciting. And thank you very much for having me here. So looking forward to, to hear about this episode. Yeah, this is a gem. So Ricardo, I think this one is a wrap. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player or watch us on YouTube so you don't miss a minute. If you haven't tried the Good Pods player yet, give them a spin and follow our show. We recently hit the top of the charts in indie management and marketing podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our Good Pod fans. If you want to know more about what we talked about today, take a look at our show notes for handy links and more deets. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to connect with us and share your feedback, follow us and the show on Twitter at KCC Golden, Ricardo underscore Belmar, and at Retail Razor, or find us on LinkedIn. And if you want even more from us, please subscribe to our Substack newsletter for full episode transcripts and bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is The Retail Razor Show.